Hope y'all been having a, a good week. Um, um, the weather's been amazing. We were supposed to get horrible weather because of the storms, and y'all obviously pray for the folks in Florida who's had some real devastation. I used to live in Fort Myers, and I just realized this morning how bad it was in, in, in that area. And a lot of y'all know folks and have family down there, and that's, man, that's, that's so sad. Um, but the weather's been amazing. Um, Braves are back in first place, right? All right. And uh, the dogs barely squeak by. I would not want to be at practice in Athens this week, would y'all? And uh, Georgia Tech, they fired their coach and they won a game. Woo! All right, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, very thankful for, for little things in life. And um, this week, I want to thank y'all as a church for allowing me to have some time off this week with my wife, Melanie. We got to go to a um, the Berry College to a... Uh, pastor and pastor's wife retreat um, at uh, Windshape Camps up there on Berry College. Beautiful, and the weather was amazing, and uh, thank you, Mark and Lisa Andrews, for allowing us to do that. It was a great week for, for, for Melanie and I, and we met a lot of other pastors and pastor's wives. We were in a small group with four other pastors and pastor's wives, Minnesota, California, Arkansas, people all over the country came in, and so it was a, it was a good week for us, so very grateful for, for um, uh, that time. I did want to mention this morning, last week um, uh, during the service, uh, we had uh, Susan Wheelis came up, and you remember at the end, and shared with us a young lady named Caitlin Kearney, who was 18, was in a diabetic coma in ICU, and y'all, she got to go home this week, so thank you. Yeah, we can pray for that. Um, thank you for your prayers for that, and continue to pray as uh, that can be... Uh, big transition from finding out you're a diabetic, um, very important. I know there's a lot of other folks we are praying for and thinking about this week, but just wanted to mention that specifically. Did y'all know in Seoul, South Korea, there is a cafe there called the Green Lab? And this cafe, patrons actually pay for time slots to simply sit and do nothing. They pay. And you're like, what? That's crazy. Now, if you sign up for a slot, they require that no one is allowed to speak while you're in the lab. Um, you have to turn your phone completely off. There's this large uh, glass window that overlooks a green forest, and have, they have diffusers all around the cafe that are releasing these pleasant aromas uh, all around. And every day they have three time slots, and do you know that every one of them is filled every single day? People love it. A customer in her early 30s says, I've been so tired and I don't even have time to space out. Now, we call it spacing out or zoning out, but they say Koreans call it hitting mung, allowing their minds to be completely blank. Do you ever try to do that? It's hard, isn't it? Even when we sleep, it's hard for us to go completely blank in our minds, isn't it? Um, and she says, after, I, after, I, after work, I go home and I have to do you know, housework, and then I barely have 30 minutes to an hour before I need to sleep. And so I spend that time, what do you think she spends her time doing? On her phone. And she says, so with a space like this, I can actually focus on taking a break. And a business owner who frequents this cafe says, it made space in my brain. I even read a book, enjoyed the smell of the diffusers, looked at flowers, wrote poetry. I started getting new ideas one by one, and I felt so refreshed. Now, that may seem weird to us, but we all, I think, can identify with being overwhelmed, right? Overwhelmed with just stress and things in life. 
and, and it, can, it can build up on us. And so I know we all can probably identify with that and sometimes wish that we could just turn the volume down of all the voices around us or just turn them off, right? Even if it's people you love, we just want to turn them off sometimes. And many times we can hear so many negative comments around us, dream-killing predictions or hope-dashing statements that leave us empty. And so we start to believe sometimes those, those negative comments, those negative threats in our lives, and it sometimes makes us abandon hope on the possibility of our situation ever changing or ever getting better. And as we know, that can lead to fears, it can lead to depression, it can lead to anxiety, and sometimes even just giving up, right? And we know with COVID and a lot of the mental illness that we hear about a lot in the news over the last year and a half or so, it's disturbing, isn't it? And even if we don't necessarily identify with it ourselves, we know someone we love or care about that is struggling with it, and it's real. And when we feel like this, our our minds can be blinded from reality. Someone's telling you something, you go, yeah, but that's not real. But man, that's how they feel, right? That's a reality to them. And the stress of that situation on them or the pressure to succeed or to change can make our position uh, or life, it seems like it'll never change. We'll always be stuck here. So it reminds me of our verse from Roman one, Romans 1 that we've been going through in this series called Blinded Mind. We've been doing that for several weeks. And Paul says to the Roman Christians, and y'all, they were in the first century in a different place in history and different culture and all that. But guess what? They were stressed out. They were worried. They were overwhelmed about things. And Paul was saying to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now today we're going to look at a character that we actually started, we read about earlier, Jonathan, when he preached. And man, he did a great job last week. Don't y'all enjoy hearing Jonathan, um, you know, Adam and Eve and how all that really connected with me. But he actually started earlier in this series uh, looking at uh, the character of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And uh, Elijah knew God, but there came a recent part of God displaying his power on Mount Carmel. If you remember, if you don't know, I'm just going to kind of summarize that story real quick. Is, um, you know, there had been a drought for three years, and Elijah, as the prophet, said to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, because of you are leading Israel astray with your worship of Baal, there's going to be no um, rain for three years. And he had to hide out during these three years because... He was God's spokesman for this punishment, this thing that had come upon Israel. And then finally it came down to this showdown on Mount Carmel where they put up this altar. And uh, Elijah said, let's see who the real God is. Y'all bring all your prophets of Baal. And, uh, you know, you you put the the sacrifice on the altar. And and let's see which God shows up and devours that, 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 that sacrifice on the altar. Well, sure enough, the... Uh, He let the uh, prophets of Baal go first, and they got up and they chanted for hours and hours all day long, and nothing ever happened. And then finally, Elijah got up there, and he put his sacrifice on there, and he literally, during a drought, I don't know where the water came from, but he doused it with water three times, and God rained down fire from heaven and burned up the whole altar and everything, the sacrifice. And everyone there that day that saw that went, the Lord is God. We know who the real God is now. And then there were this 
this tragedy of a bunch of uh, false prophets were killed and, and all this. And you would think that Elijah, after going through this supernatural experience where God showed himself and, and, and justified what was going on, all of a sudden it seemed like you would be on, on cloud nine going, God used me in a powerful way and now they know who God is and man, things going forward are going to be wonderful. But we're going to hear about in our text today that Elijah heard a negative threat from an evil person, evil Queen Jezebel, and he believed the threat. Elijah almost instantly forgot what God had just done and allowed his mind to be blinded towards God's goodness and his power and his control. And his blinded mind wasn't necessarily like we've talked about a lot in the last weeks is rebellion, rebelling against God, knowing that God's there, but you go, I don't care, I'm going to do it my way. He wasn't really doing that. His mind was blinded because of the weariness of stress. Anybody identify with that? I'm just weary. It's not that I don't love you, God. It's not that I know you're not there, but I'm just, I'm just worn out. I'm overwhelmed. But make no mistake, y'all, Satan uses that to pull us away from God too, doesn't he? Anything he can use to blind our minds to God and his love and his plan and his sovereignty. I've always been fascinated by this story for a few reasons. One is that how quickly, and you'll see as we read it, how quickly Elijah abandoned the hope and the truth that God had clearly displayed, and he ran. He just ran. You go, why would you run after you've just seen what God can do? And then it's also interesting to me how God worked through Elijah's blinded mind and feelings of fear and anxiety. He worked through him. He knew what he was going through, and he worked with him through that. And how God personally reminded Elijah of his sovereign plan that would continue even during evil threats and suffering in life. God's plan continues. You're not the only faithful person in the world, Elijah. And you'll understand that more when we read the text. And then how God allowed Elijah to be part of the alternative hope for the future. No matter how difficult things get, God always presents in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through, that there is an alternative hope for the future, doesn't he? Always. No matter how bleak things look. So we're going to look at our text today from 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to go to verses 1 through 18 and read about what happened to give um, Elijah this blinded mind. Now Ahab told Jezebel, he's the king, she's the wicked queen, told everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said the same thing. Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Manola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any of those who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, let me remind you that God has done this amazing supernatural miracle on Mount Carmel, showing his power over the deceptive evil of Baal, who Jezebel and and, uh, Ahab worshipped. They were supposed to be the leaders of God's people, Israel, and they have brought Baal worship into this culture. And yet, Elijah, after seeing what God had done and proved himself, he was afraid and he ran for his life when she says, I'm going to make you like one of those prophets you killed. And I go, what? How can that be? But I want us to notice what God did and didn't do to deal with Elijah's fear and anxiety and depression. He didn't scold or berate Elijah for his sudden case of a blinded mind and this anxiety that he was having. He didn't tell Elijah he's crazy and he couldn't use him anymore if he was going to continue like this. He didn't give him a rainbows and unicorn speech like everything's going to be perfect. He let Elijah what? What was the first thing he let him do? Just rest. Do we realize how important rest is sometimes? Yeah, I would like some, Craig. It's true, isn't it? We talked a lot on this retreat I was on about Sabbath. And we know that is so important. We're supposed to have a Sabbath. And Jesus made clear to the religious leaders of his day, you do understand that the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. You do understand that because they had got it the other way around. But as I talk to a lot of pastors this week, it it becomes obvious sometimes we don't have a day of rest because we think we don't need one because I'm so important and I have to do something every minute. Or the world's going to fall apart. What a deception. Do you fall for that? I do. Well, I've got to work. I mean, if Chick-fil-A has taught us anything, that we can, we can move forward without on Sundays, right? As much as we hate it. But man, what a, what a powerful testimony. Because when anybody goes, why aren't they open on Sunday? What do we get to tell them? Because man, those people are about Sabbath. They understand. And you know what? That's who was 
leading this retreat this weekend, people from Chick-fil-A telling us, you need Sabbath. You need Sabbath. And that's what Elijah needed, and God knew that. And he just let him sleep. He let him rest. He was physically exalted. And then he sent an angel and gave him just some basic sustenance, food and drink, and let him go back to sleep. You just need to rest. Your mind is blinded because you're exhausted and you're not really thinking clearly. I read recently about a man from Sydney, Australia. His name was Don Ritchie. I think he died in 2012. But Don lived beside this cliff used for suicidal jumps for over 50 years. People would go to this spot and choose to jump off to their deaths. And every one time someone approached the cliff, and when he found this out, every time someone approached the cliff, he went out and would follow them up there to make sure they didn't take their life. And over the years, he stopped at least 160 people from killing themselves. That's just the official estimate. His family said, oh, no, it was way more than that. Over 400 people, according to his family. So Don happened to live near this place called The Gap. It's an ocean cliff at Sydney. And it's a a very popular visitor destination which has gained infamy for suicides over the years. It is estimated that about 50 people ended their lives every year from that spot. Can you imagine? And as individuals would walk up to the cliff looking at the crashing waves and wondering whether to jump, he would come up beside them, introduce himself and smile and say, hey, would you come down and have a cup of tea with me at my house? And many of these people would accept his offer. They would be invited into his home where he would just talk with them over tea. No counseling, no advising, no prying. Just one human being lending a listening ear to another. And some of the people had serious mental problems. Some people had medical illnesses that were overwhelming. Some people were just going through a rough patch in life. And for many, a listening ear was all they really needed to change their minds about jumping. That's a pretty good legacy, isn't it, to be a part of that. And you know what, y'all? This is where Elijah was. He's a prophet of God. How could he be suicidal? How could he have anxiety? He's so close to God. How could that possible? It was possible, wasn't it? He felt that way. I read a few years ago about a preacher who um, started with a very small church. And as the church grew, it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it became a mega church. And he said one Sunday they had like three services, and he had just done two, and he was sitting in the back waiting to come in to do his sermon for the third, for the third service. And he says, I'm sitting there and just going, this is overwhelming. I never wanted or expected this church to get this big. He says, I got my hand in my pockets, and, and I, I think I'm just going to go get my car and just drive away, and I just can't do this anymore. Can you imagine feeling like that? And that's the way that now he didn't do it. <laughs> he went out there and preached a sermon and got some help because he needed it. Because it's a reality. And I think this is exactly where Elijah was. So after allowing Elijah to rest and giving him food and drink, this is what he does next. He lets him go on this 40-day, 40 40-night 40 journey where he's just walking and he's reflecting and he's thinking about all these things, trying to sort out all this stuff. And then when he gets to the mountain. He tells Elijah to go up on the mountain. And he asks him a question. He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And God doesn't really need an answer, does he? He knows because he's all-knowing. He's sovereign. But Elijah responds, 
showing that he's still struggling, even after the rest, even after this journey of self-reflection, he's still struggling. He goes, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And God responds by saying, go stand on the mountain and wait for my presence. Can you imagine God telling you that? I'm getting ready to come literally into your presence. That's just awesome if you think about it. And we use awesome a lot, but that would really be awesome. And he says he experienced this great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. Can you imagine being in that cave and seeing all this around you and going, I'm going to die. God's going to give me my wish. I'm going to die. But the Lord, it says, was not in that wind. And then he experiences an earthquake. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you have been in one of those. And you feel this shaking all around you. I'm going to die. And God wasn't in the earthquake. And then this fire. Maybe he thought, I'm going to get burned up. He sees it consuming things. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then it says a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard that gentle whisper. And that's what caused him to pull his cloak over his face. And like, I'm not supposed to see God, but I just heard him in a whisper. And he stood at the mouth of the cave. And Elijah heard God. And I don't know what exactly he said. But maybe he whispered that same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds with the same thing, doesn't he? I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your your covenant. Torn down your altars. Put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Only one. Nobody else is faithful but me. And now they're trying to kill me. And again, God doesn't berate Elijah or tells him he's crazy. He tells Elijah what he's going to do next. You are going to be a part of the future hope that's coming. Go anoint three new leaders, three new people who will be a part of my sovereign plan that have always been a part of my sovereign plan. I'm never not working. Y'all see the Head and Shoulders commercial? You know where the guy used to play for the Steelers? He's like, never not working. He shows up everywhere. That's the way God is. I'm never not working. These bad things that happen in all of our lives are real, and God knows they're real, but God's never not working in those things, ever. And it's hard for us to grasp that. Oh, and by the way, Elijah, I know you think you're the only one. I understand your feelings of feeling that way, but that's not real. It's not reality, Elijah, and he gives him the exact number. This has always blown me away about this passage. 7,000 people. He knew the exact number of people who had been faithful and had not bowed down to Baal. That's amazing when you think about it. He says, they've been faithful and I have reserved them to continue their faithfulness along with you. You are not alone. We are, I'm never not working through this. So today we go, that's great. That's a great story. It's that Old Testament stuff, Craig. That doesn't happen anymore. So what are you and I stressed over today? What's making you, what's making me feel anxious, making me feel depressed or fearful? Why are we where we are today in our season of life? Craig, have you not watched the news? Did you just hear about the hurricane that hit the people in Florida? Have you seen the economy? Have you seen the prediction? Have you, do you not listen to things? We all have our stuff. I get it. 
And I think God would ask me today about my place in the season of my life. What are you doing here, Craig? What are you doing right where you are? And I think he asked you the same thing. What are you doing where you are right now? Is that where God wants you to be? Is that where he created you to be? Or maybe it's somewhere else. And I would imagine that whatever you and I are stressed about, we would make it sound very similar to Elijah's answer. I'd go, oh God, you just don't understand how hard my life is. These kids you gave me, don't listen. My wife, well, that's a whole other story. And you know... And, and, and the people at church and, and the crazy drivers and the economies in the town. All this stuff I could get, you know, give it just like, just like Elijah did. And maybe for you, you could give a, a story too. And it would be real. Y'all, I'm not minimizing that. Please don't hear that. But it become, can become so overwhelming that we forget that God's working. Maybe it would be a health issue for you. I know a lot of y'all are dealing with that. A family issue involving our spouse or our kids or our grandkids, a friend, a coworker, something at school. All of those things, whatever it is, you and I may too have become blinded in our minds in the situation that we're the only ones that have ever dealt with that. And I don't think God wants to scold you or I today or tell us we're crazy or to suck it up and quit whining. I don't think God would do that. I think sometimes he would go, you need some sleep, Craig. You just need some rest. And a lot of us control that, don't we? We can do something about it. Maybe you need some physical sustenance. Just eat and drink. Maybe you need to go on a journey of some sort to ponder and reflect on your situation, on why you are where you are, why I am where I am. That would be a healthy thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish God would tell me to go up on a mountain and show me that stuff that he showed Elijah. How cool would that be? I mean, it'd be scary, but I would love to have God talk to me. And I think he would have a, oh, by the way, Craig, statement for me. I know you think you're the only preacher. You're the only dad. You're the only husband. You're the only person that's gone through that before. But you're not. And God would tell me exactly how many people that I know in my circle of people, did you know that, and he'd give me the exact number of people that are going through that right now. And I'd be like, oh, oh, you really are sovereign. You really are omnipotent. You really are omniscient. You really know all that. And you love me anyway. And he would remind me, just like he did Elijah, about his sovereign plan that is never not working, even in the midst of suffering and evil and difficult times. And I think he would tell me how I could be a part of the alternative hope for the future, for not only me, but for others as well. And then maybe I would look at my situation different. And you know, I want to say, I say this to a lot of people, sometimes as ministers, we hear a lot of stuff from, from people that are going through stuff. And I can't tell you how many times when I hear it, sometimes I have to kind of go, yeah, that's normal. And I'm like, holy cow, how is this person even living right now? They're dealing with such a difficult thing. But I tell some of those people, so I can't identify with that because it's never happened to me. But you know what? I believe that God's allowing this to happen to you so that you can help somebody else down the road through it. Is that not true? How many, how much, sometimes the best words, I heard this a lot last week talking to other pastors. Some of the best words we can hear sometimes is, me too. 
Doesn't that feel good sometimes to hear, me too, you understand because you've been there. And this is what the beauty of the church is, y'all. Some of y'all who've been through difficult things, losing a spouse, having someone go through a difficult medical thing, whatever it may be, stuff with your kids or your spouse, you're able to sit down with somebody later after you've gotten through that difficult season and go, let me tell you, you'll get through it. I was there, and it means so much to hear somebody that's been through it, doesn't it? And that's the beauty of the church. And God knows what Elijah was going through. And maybe I would look at my situation different if God could speak directly to me. But you know what? I would probably just launch right in like Elijah did and go, oh, I'm the only person. And God listens to it and he hears him, but finally he tells them, this is what I'm getting ready to do and you're going to be a part of it. I'm going to use you to make this alternative hope and future. In Isaiah 40, and this may be familiar to some of you this past, but I want to read this, verses 27 through 31. And it's very similar in that sometimes we think God's not listening. And so in that passage, Isaiah, the Lord says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Another prophet God is talking to and through. Yeah, clap for that. It's good stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Diane, we need a little prodding sometimes, don't we? <laughs> and the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Galatian church in the sixth chapter of Galatians. And again, these are real people that are dealing with things that are stressed out and have anxiety about. He goes, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And he says this, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Satan wants us to give up. Stop doing the right thing. Stop doing the good thing. And some of y'all today are struggling with that. I'm tired of doing the right thing. I'm always the one that has to do the right thing. And God's saying to you, don't give up. Don't stop doing the right thing. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The reality is this, y'all, that over 2,000 years ago, God came down to earth as one of us. And the scripture tells us that he experienced everything that we did, but was without what? Sin. Heard a lot of y'all say it. That blows my mind. We can't go a few seconds, a few minutes without sinning, but Jesus never did. And he didn't do a lot of the things that people thought he should do to fix the world. The Messiah should fix the world like this. And they had a list. And Jesus wasn't doing those things. So he can't be the Messiah. He healed a lot of people. Did did he heal everybody, y'all? No. He encouraged and challenged many to leave their old life. But did they all leave their old life? No. He cast out demons from some, but not everybody. He didn't conquer any military or political system, did he? To fix the world. But what he ultimately did for you and for I and for all of humanity was a gentle whisper on that cross saying, it is finished. 
It's finished. He finished it. He accomplished what God's sovereign plan was for us, giving us what we really needed, forgiveness of our sins. And he did that, and I know we know this, but we, we just can't get, get it sometimes. He did all that through suffering and death. Messiahs don't fix things through suffering and death. Yes, he did. That's how he fixed it. That's how he fixed us. That's how he restored us, renewed us, resurrected us. And that's what he wants us to be, resurrected people that, are, that understand that we have been forgiven and that death no longer has mastery over us and we can be eternally restored to him. So I think God is asking all of us today, what are you doing here? And then put your name at the end of that sentence. And I don't mean in this building. I mean where you are in life right now. What are you doing here? God's asking us that. And he wants our response. He waited for Elijah's response. And I think he wants your response. He wants my response. And he wants to walk us through that. Giving us rest. Giving us sustenance. Giving us time to reflect. So that we can get to where he wants us to be. But that's a process, isn't it? And you can hear the answer to that question much more clearly when you're in an authentic relationship with Jesus. You can hear it. And when I say authentic relationship, someone's like, ah, you know, uh," that means daily we take our stuff to God. We don't just throw up a prayer while we're here. But we really, God wants to hear our stuff. You know what? He already knows it, right? He wants to hear it. Don't Don't you feel good when a kid or a friend unloads on you? Man, they trust me with all that. Wow. That feels good, doesn't it? And you want to help them. That's the way God is. He wants to, He already knows it, but He wants us to tell Him. Why? Because He wants us to know. He wants to know that we are truly dependent on Him in authentic relationship. So today we're going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior and start that process. And, and when you do, and if you make that confession today and you are baptized, like we had someone in the first service get baptized, that doesn't mean that everything's now going to be perfect and nothing's going to go wrong anymore. It doesn't mean that. But you have a Savior that's going to walk with you through that. And it's a reality. And it's not easy. It's not simple. But He promises that He will always be with us. Jesus says, I will never forsake or abandon you. We just have to look for them. So this morning as the, as the uh, praise team comes up to lead us, we're going to offer that invitation. And maybe you're looking for a church home. And y'all, we are not perfect. Man, we're not perfect. We got, I got issues and working through all that junk. But, you know, this is a, a, a great place where I've seen time and time again people that have been through it helping other people get through it. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when we help each other out with that. Not try to bear it alone. We can't do it. We can't do it. So if you have a decision day, we're going to ask you to come forward as we stand and sing together. But we're also going to go into a time of communion right after this. And maybe you don't have a decision to come forward with. But if you do, we welcome that. But if not, right there, reflect and prepare your hearts to take communion. Where we remember what Jesus really did for us to really save our souls and give us eternal life. So let's stand and sing right now.